We're continuing our study on the book of Revelation today and a couple of Old Testament prophets as well. Lots of confusion on this book. Are you premillennial? Are you postmillennial? Are you amillennial? Are you panmillennial? Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? What's with the seven trumpets? And what's with the seven seals later? And what's with the seven uh, bowls coming after that? Or seven seals, then trumpets, then bowls? It sounds confusing, but we're here to help you out. We're reading the Bible, we're learning it, we're living it out, we're reading the whole Holy Bible together as a church, and I'm glad that you're here. So grab your Bible, pull up a chair, and let's dive into the last book of the Bible. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, welcome back to those of you who are faithful listeners, and welcome for the first time if you just found this or somebody pointed you to it. We're so glad you're here. You can find archive versions uh, for throughout this whole year. This is like episode 48, something many. like that, yeah. 47, 48. Yeah. I'm not sure. I've lost track. We've got three more to go after this one. We've, we're covering the whole New Testament. We try to pull as much of the Old Testament as we can into the conversation, but there's a lot of good ground to cover. And maybe particularly today. So I'm glad we have the pastor panel we do. Yes. With us today, we have pastors Brian Brown and Ashley Lentz. Hello to you both. Hello. 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 Representation from Hope Elam and Ankeny today. Yeah. yeah. Two of it's our campuses good. in different locations, uh, kind of like uh, brothers and sisters from other mothers. Oh, or so, I, I don't like know. That. Same mother. Different, <laughs> different. Same, same God. How yeah. about that? Yeah. There we go. We'll go with that. We're a family. So Emily, we got some questions. Yeah, How'd you like the questions this week that came in? Huh? They're pretty detailed, pretty, uh, pretty. I, I don't have the answers to them, so I'm... Inquiring I'm, minds want to know. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, and I think Ted Lasso knows too, so let's go, Ted. Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah, no, should have saw that coming. Okay, first question is from our Old Testament readings this week. What stood out for you from Hosea and Joel, our Old Testament readings this week? Are these ancient prophetic books still relevant for us today? Uh, I'll answer the last part of the question first. Yes, there's still relevancy. Mm-hmm. And I think what stood out for me is the the constant desire that God is continuing to seek for um, relationship with his people. Mm-hmm. I think the what God is interested most, I think what I saw in particularly in Hosea, but also in Joel, is a loving relationship, um, looking for an opportunity to be intimate with the people of God, to, to really know him. Yes, we can have the duty of the sacrifices and the burnt offerings, but less interested than that is the is the intimacy. And part of that, we see the redemptive love of God throughout Scripture, but certainly in Hosea and Joel, where there's a constant falling away and going after mm-hmm. idolatry and other and other gods. But there's still this constant abiding opportunity to return, yeah. and there's a call to repentance that God is saying, "Turn." And I think in that, that's relevant for us today. Um, when I think about Joe, even, I think it's there, there's the, the locust that comes and takes everything. And God says, listen, mm-hmm. um, if you return, I'm going to restore. There's an opportunity for restoration. And I think it's just the good news that um, although there's, there's challenge, but there's also opportunity to return. Yeah, I like that use of the word opportunity there. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. good. It's a reminder from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is a love story mm-hmm. of God and his people. Mm-hmm. And so we get to prophets like uh, Hosea and Joel, and 
there's a call to live differently. And it's a reminder that we just do not stack up to God's standards. And there's still hope and love in that, like what you so eloquently point. It's just, it's really hopeful as you read those prophets. So certainly the prophetic nature is a little bit foreign to us, but it's absolutely relevant in the hope and the love that God still has for every single one of us, even in the midst of our falling away. Mm-hmm. You both mentioned love and relationship, mm-hmm. and and that's the source of our hope uh, and and the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Emily, you picked up on that mm-hmm. word uh, mm-hmm. that Brian, you shared, and that's such a that's such a good summary of Hosea. So many of the prophets are misunderstood in their day, but I still think for a lot of Bible readers from the outside looking in, we assume, oh man, these these some of these prophetic books and, and the apocalyptic books that we're we're going to dive into in the New Testament, like Revelation, they're so hard to read because they're so intimidating, they're so scary. But really, in in underneath that, uh, at the end of it, probably is most important to say at the end of all, the suffering is real, the mm-hmm. challenges are real. But the opportunity is real mm-hmm. too. And the relationship at the end is real. There's a Hebrew word for that relationship here in a Hosea. And Joel gets to this too. Uh, but the word is yada, which mm-hmm. is, you know, there, a lot of people who are Seinfeld fans like me will think of the famous episode where they talk about yada. Oh, yeah. it, they got it wrong. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about that. Yes. But even if you haven't seen that episode or you're not a fan of that show, Yada has a has a beautiful meaning. What God is saying is, I want you to know me. Jesus, mm-hmm. yes. And I don't just want you to know me like mm-hmm. in your head. Like right. you know that there's a God. You believe there's a God. I want you to know me the way um, a faithful couple knows each other in a marriage. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to know me the way a son knows a loving father. I want you to know, and both of those examples are given here in Hosea mm-hmm. in some pretty colorful ways, mm-hmm. uh, kind of over the top ways in a, in a really get your attention kind of way. But mm-hmm. knowing means, I, I don't want the hypocrisy of you going through the motions, mm-hmm. your worship, your worship God wants, but he wants it with our whole heart, right. not just our, hey, God, I'm doing you a favor. I believe in you. It's God's like, you're going to miss the opportunity. Sure. You're going to miss the love. You're going to miss the relationship if you don't yada me, if you don't really mm. know me, if you aren't really truly in this relationship. We aren't walking together through life, in mm. other words. If I'm not the thing, like the main thing for you, mm. that's, that's the call to repentance. Mm-hmm. It's not just, hey, I don't believe in God. Now I do. And I'm still going to just code do whatever I want. It's, it's. I've been drifting from God, even as somebody who says I believe in God. And God's like, yeah, that's not going to end well for you. I want it to end well for you, so come back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And yes. I think that's a, a beautiful part of the, the blessings of God are tied to just the faithfulness of the obedience of the heart. It's not the duty of what we do. It's that where is the origin of where it's coming from? The, the obedience, like the blessings are tied to what God does, not what we do. Mm-hmm. And so the, the intimacy of knowing him, yes. um, I think is really the key. Yeah, so good. What, one of the things that stuck out to me in Hosea was, there is some punishment, there's some destruction, Mm -hmm. but God doesn't want to punish his people. It's Hosea 11. um, He's beginning in verse eight or nine. He says, my heart is torn with me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Mm -hmm. Israel for I am God and not a mere mortal. I'm the holy one living among you and I will not come to destroy. I think it's Mm -hmm. easy for us to read the prophets or even as we jump forward into revelation here in a minute to think that God wants to pour out this kind of destruction. And that's not 
who he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's why some of these are hard to read because mm-hmm. you really have to be careful what your lens is. If yeah. you're just looking for God's judgment right. or punishment, that's that's what you're seeing. But yeah. you're look, you have to see the heart behind it mm-hmm. and what God is really after yep. for people is not those things. It's for the turn back mm-hmm. and it the is. healing. And mm-hmm. we have to avoid the convenience of saying the judgment is for them. And, right. and, and not us. Yeah. And, and realize that any of us can drift from God. Mm-hmm. We probably should just say a quick word about Joel too. It's yeah. too good not yeah. to mention. It's so and it's going to come up again later because it connects to Revelation, as does Hosea. But in verse 12 of chapter 2, Joel picks up on the same theme that Hosea does. Mm-hmm. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Mm-hmm. He isn't just saying, give me your belief. Give me your hearts. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And then... It's so much to cover here, but we need to keep moving. Later in that same chapter, verse verse 28, I'll pour out my spirit mm-hmm. upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's so inclusive. It, it's mm-hmm. all encompassing. People are like, well, I thought that was Acts 2, not Joel 2. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right. It's both. Yeah. In fact, Acts got it from Joel um, 2. And so the point here is Joel is saying, in times when you don't think God is going to move, he isn't going to provide those opportunities. He isn't going to provide that space to change, that space to change the way we think, which is to repent, to turn back from the ways of the world to the ways of God, from darkness to light, from death to Mm. life. Nothing less than that's going on here. I mean, we're talking about radical transformation. Christianity it's too often minimized. Yeah. It's just a religion. It's just something you think. It's just something you believe. No, it's a whole all-encompassing life. It, mm-hmm. it, and and it's, it leads us to the best views mm-hmm. where we're going to see visions and, and dream dreams. And, you know, as Joel says, and this is, this is ancient, timeless truth. And there's more of that to come as we go. Yeah. Okay. Switching gears to Revelation. What's the meaning of the seven seals and how do they relate to the four horses of different colors? So there's three cycles of seven that that are that the book of Revelation uh, kind of uses to as hooks for us to kind of hang things on. And, and there's a repetition to them. And there are some, and respectfully, it, it's okay if, you, if you're listening and this is what you believe. Um, I think that scripture points to something a little deeper than this, but there are some who are like, oh yeah, you have to read it in sequence. So there's the seven seals on the scroll at the beginning. There's, there's this heavenly vision uh, toward the end of Revelation 4 and 5, and God is sitting on his throne and he's holding this, the scroll, which represents, symbolizes the word mm-hmm. of God. And then there are seven seals on that, the wax seals that a king would impress the signet ring and say, well, that's for me. And then if the seal isn't broken, you know, the message hasn't been tampered with. So these seals aren't broken. And they find that nobody has the authority to break the seals except for Jesus, who is, doesn't say Jesus, says the Lamb of God, but the sacrificial one, who's also the lion. Now, come on, who does this sound like? This is clearly Jesus. Plus, he comes to save. Plus, he gives up his life in order for us to live. So, clearly, this is Jesus. And that's worth noting, because what Revelation is saying right from the beginning is our hope isn't in us getting this perfectly right. Our hope is in the Lamb. Our hope is in the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who is in this beautiful, poetic, uh, lyrical, glorious, heavenly kind of vision is there. He is God, but he's also of, you know, begotten of God, not made, all the things that we believe in our creeds that are a summary of this. But here's the Lamb 
And he's the one who's worthy. He alone is worthy to break the seals. And so each of the seven seals is broken. And the first four seals all coincide with these four horsemen or women. It doesn't say men, actually. Mm-hmm. So the four horsemen of Notre Dame maybe needs to be revised a little bit. But the that there's these four riders, let's say, on horses who come riding in with each seal. So... Now, we can take that as like, okay, so we should be looking out our window for horses, mm. and there'll be different colors. The first seal is a white horse, the, which represents victories and conquering. The second horse is red, which, which um, is war and, and slaughter and a sword. And then the third horse is black, which is economic t- turmoil and, and, and tough times and famine. And the fourth horse is pale green, which... I'm so into the pale green. That's the <laughs> random. <laughs> oh, because they're such primary colors. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, pale yeah. green. Yes, like we might as well say fuchsia. Is or it sage taupe. green? Is it yeah, lime? I, I don't know why. I see your interest. Okay, <laughs> so so that represents death, and you're like, why are we reading this? Mm-hmm. This is such yes. a downer. Mm-hmm. It's realistic. Mm-hmm. We live in a world of wars. We live mm-hmm. in a world yeah. of economic difficulty and famine. We live in a world of pandemics. We live in a mm-hmm. world of terror. We live in a world where evil rears its ugly head on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Do you want us to pretend that doesn't happen and have a God who can't deal with it? Or do you want to read a story about a God who can say, yeah, that mm-hmm. stuff's real. Mm-hmm. Right. And you keep reading because I'm telling you it's not going to end with evil winning. It's going to end with good conquering the evil. Mm -hmm. So let's be honest about how bad it is Mm -hmm. so that we can deal with the reality of the suffering we feel. That's what's happening. And I said there are three hooks. So there's the three seals. That's going to give way to the seven seven seals. That's going to give way to seven trumpets. And that's going to give way ultimately to seven bulls, which we'll get at next week. And people are like, okay, well, first will be the seals. Then will be the trumpets. Then will be the bulls. I would just challenge a little bit back on that and say, it's probably more since it's a vision and a dream. There's there's not a clean beginning and end to these things. And it's probably all just sort of three different ways of telling the same story. Mm-hmm. And even the seven things themselves are overlapping in right. the same way that heaven and earth sometimes overlap. And we get glimpses of heaven, even though it isn't completely here mm-hmm. by any means yet, because we still right. have suffering. Yeah, more, more to say, but I want to hear from you guys. Yeah, I, well, I would just add... One of the characteristics of apocalyptic literature is that it is dualistic in nature. Mm-hmm. And so when if we try to put things on a chronological timeline, we are dismissing the nature of this kind of literature. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's helpful to remember like these things are all interwoven in this kind of dualistic present and future timeline that really mesh in some ways and mm-hmm. are are also not entirely mm-hmm. for us to understand because we live in chronological time. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. I think starting with the end in mind is hopeful because you know ultimately who's in control. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think having the ability to read the full story helps when you are in real time. So if you read the only the portion that you like to read, and that is you read only about the hope filled, then you suffer, you, you struggle when there's suffering, when there's mm. tribulation, when there's hardship. If you read the full story, you know that it's a part of the deal. Mm-hmm. But in the end, if you know the end of the story, it's hope still there and you maintain through it all. And I think that helps when you are reading something that is prophetic. That is something that is not in real time, but it also gives you hope of the end time. Mm-hmm. And that is um, victory. Mm-hmm. It's probably worth noting that each of these seven, so the, the seven seals on the scroll, the seven trumpets, the seven bulls, all lead to 
mm-hmm. heaven, all, all lead to an eternity mm-hmm. uh, and a life where there is no more suffering, where, where mm-hmm. victory has been won, Come where on. there's where there's celebration and worship. But there's also this is I said this last week. I'll say it again. Remember what you're reading here. You're listening to music. You're not reading a history or, or a future of, it is futuristic. It is pointing us to what will be, that's for sure. It, it begins as, here's God revealing what's to come. Right. So let's take that seriously. But as we read about this future, just don't, don't overanalyze every detail. Mm-hmm. You can do that later. You can come back and peel it apart. And that's fun. We can do that all day, right? <laughs> I, I like to. But first time through especially, mm-hmm. Listen to the music, yeah. let, let it sing. And then, so in chapter six, you're getting one seal after another, the four horsemen, then the fifth one. And it's like, mm-hmm. weird. Now there's these souls under an altar uh-huh. who are saying, uh, we get white robes, which represent forgiveness. It's yeah. not because they're perfect. Mm-mm. It's because of the blood of the lamb yeah. that, that makes, isn't that interesting? The red blood makes the robes right. white, mm-hmm. and, you know, purifies them, which is an Old Testament text as well. Mm-hmm. Though our sins are scarlet, you've made us white as snow. Mm-hmm. The, in order to really understand Revelation, you better know the Old Testament. Uh-huh. You, it, it, because what John is assuming is you know the Old Testament and you're going to look these things up. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're going to go back and say, oh, mm-hmm. that's where the white robes come from. That's where the – and all this stuff starts to make sense. But then the sixth one happens and there's always this, that the sixth – at the sixth uh, seal, trumpet, bowl, there's earthquakes, there's, mm-hmm. there's like lightning, thunder, big earth shaking. Because mm-hmm. earth shaking things are happening that yeah. are dark and evil right. and scary. And what God is saying, my stuff's bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, you do not have to be freaked out about these things because I'm in your corner. Stick with me. Keep the faith. But on the poetic lyrical part, I, this is just too good not to, not to mention. So this, this weekend, the Warburg Choir will be here. They'll sing. Uh, my daughter was in at the Luther College Choir, Nordic Choir. They toured around the world and sang. When she did that, we would go around and listen to her and her 72 friends, 71 friends sing whenever we could. World-class choir. You know, when you practice for two hours a day, every day, mm. you get pretty good. And your voices blend together as one. There were some times when they would sing. <laughs> I mean, it gets me emotional just saying it. They would sing. And at the mm. end of the song, silence. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, sometimes when they're done singing, you're like, clap, hur- yeah, hooray. Right. And that happens in worship sometimes mm-hmm. at Hope, too. Mm-hmm. Sometimes at the end of a song, it's so mm-hmm. moving. Normally, it's like, we want to clap. And we're not clapping for the band. We're, we're praising God. Yep, right. We're praising God for the, for the good news. And, and the band was the vessel that brought it. So mm-hmm. yep. thank God for the band, too. But we're praising God for what we just got to experience as we worshiped you. But sometimes, like Romans 8, it sighs too deep for words. Mm-hmm. And so you get all these seals broken. You're like, well, where's the seventh seal? Where, when is this going to break? And, and the way it's revealed and the way it's written in Revelation is, I'm going to make you have you wait for a chapter, which is to say two things. God is patient with us. He's giving us time to repent. He's giving us time to, to turn around. But the other thing is it's so moving. It's so inspiring. It's so beautiful, lyrical, poetic. It silences us. Mm-hmm. And so that's the word that it uses here is chapter eight, verse one, when the seventh seal is finally broken, silence for a half mm-hmm. hour. Mm-hmm. Like you just heard something so beautiful and you've just beheld something, seen something so beautiful that you have no more words. You, you, have, you are just inspired beyond what you could ever imagine. And you're just speechless. Mm-hmm. I, I've got the people say, well, I got no words. It's one of those moments. Yeah. How good is that? That when it's all said and done, 
we're going to be in those moments where we're praising God with everything we got, but also having those moments where it's just like, that was so beautiful, I can't move. <laughs> yeah, it just gives us, um, gives us reason to pause um, with every aspect of the Word of God because it's such a beautiful piece that you just pulled out that you, it's easy to miss, the, the silence. The, the, yeah. And I think that for us, sometimes some of the best intimacy with God is in silence. Yeah. It's in that moment where we have so much to be thankful for, so much to petition for, so much to adore, but the silence and sitting with him and, and he speaks of rest and the opportunity just to rest in him, just to be silent, um, be still and know. I mean, all of the word that speaks to it. So I think it's a very rich that you pulled that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's the symbolism of a sacrificial lamb pouring out wrath on kings, rulers, generals, the wealthy, and the powerful? Yeah. So if we think about that list, the kings, the rulers, generals, and wealthy, the powerful, these are the, by earthly standards, these are the great people, the good people, the the ones who have status, the ones who've earned their place, if you will. Uh, but the lamb is pouring out this wrath, and those are the people who run and hide. <laughs> those are the people who have not figured out uh, who God is. They really have... Their world has been flipped upside down mm-hmm. uh, because Jesus shows up as the Lamb of God. And so it's a reminder uh, that the wrath of God is, it's a real thing that's coming. And he gives us opportunity to pause, to repent, to turn back. But per worldly standards, mm-hmm. it's really easy for us to miss that. It's really easy for us to be on the other side of that and say, I have the the wealth and the power and the status. And this is a reminder that this Lamb is going to show up the Lamb of God, and rather mm-hmm. than war and victory and conquest, like what we're reading about, these things that are poured out, um, He is the Lamb of God. He is a, depicted as a slaughtered lamb. He couldn't be any farther from yeah. war-like language. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's going to show up? He Himself who has died for us. And that should really flip our the way that we live in the world. It should change our hearts, like we've talked about, not just our minds, but also our hearts, uh, so that when this happens, when we see God, when he shows up again, um, we're not the people hiding and scared of the way that we lived our life because mm-hmm. we did it per earthly mm-hmm. standards. We're doing it for godly standards. Mm-hmm. So good. The lamb is not to be underestimated. No. Either. I mean, it, it, we, we, we ought not minimize mm-hmm. what the lamb, just because he's a sacrificial lamb who's taking on our yeah. sin and sacrificing himself for us, that doesn't mean there isn't power there. I, I love that kings and rulers and generals and the wealthy and the powerful. And we assume, okay, well, they're the ones who win. You know, they're, yeah. they're the ones who have the victories in this world. Mm-hmm. And if we could get there, then we could have some wins and victories too. And that is just so, ups- that, is, that is the upside down nature of the kingdom come mm-hmm. to, to flip that right side up. The kingdom come, when Jesus comes and brings this, when the, when the lamb comes with the victory, he flips that. And suddenly you look and you're like, oh, my worldly power isn't going to last. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you guys talked about this earlier. What's there in the end? And if, if we're going to live that way, if we start with the end and live back, mm-hmm. which is to live eschatologically mm-hmm. or, li- or to live happily ever after back, we start to say, if Jesus is going to win in the end, maybe I should start hanging out with him now, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. in, instead of pursuing all these worldly things yeah. and power and status and position and, and wealth and, and, and mm-hmm. all the stuff that just doesn't satisfy our souls yeah. in the end. But the irony is, or, or the consistency of this is doesn't really satisfy us mm-hmm. temporarily for very long either. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a while, but I read a, I read an article recently. It said, um, 
it surveyed Americans. It said, how much money do you need to make in order to be happy? Mm. And there wasn't a number. Mm-hmm. But then they started to calculate and they realized it was twice as much. Wow. So yeah. if you're no making... No matter what you have. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you're making 30000 at 60, then I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. If you're making 60, it's 120, then I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. If you're making 120... It, now, I've, there's, there's mm-hmm. some exceptions to the rule. But generally speaking, it was more. Right. Mm-hmm. I always need more. And what does scripture say about that? Whoever loves their money will never have enough. Mm-hmm. And so you'll never get a satisfied soul in that. You love your house, but you're like, yeah, but my neighbor has a bigger one. Mm-hmm. You love your car, my neighbor has a faster one. Yeah. You know, and, and you're like, I got to get that and then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting the car, the house, the wealth, but being a faithful steward of it mm-hmm. and realizing what it is and how long it's going to last yeah. is really important. And so... You know, Jesus says, invest in things that are going to last forever, mm-hmm. treasures in heaven. Yep. Yeah. First will be last and the last will be first. Yeah, this yeah. is, Revelation isn't just some new thing. No. It's very consistent with Old and New Testament teaching all the way through. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It pulls so in good. all of, I just get so geeked out about this. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's everything. <laughs> Let's turn this into a double a double episode. We'll go three, <laughs> uh, triple, three hours. Yeah. We won't. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna get you out by lunchtime. We're getting a lot in though. Mm-hmm. Uh, do the 144,000 servants represent the total number of souls? who will be saved, or is this number symbolic for something more? Uh, definitely something more. God has um, a complete plan for um, all who confess in Him, they shall be saved. It's not a, a, a finite number. It is a complete number, and that is the complete number. Uh, 144 does not um, suggest that that is the number of how many that's going to be saved. I don't have to make saved. sure I'm one no, of them. No, yeah. we, God is going to be faithful in His Word, mm-hmm. and um, He has the power and will redeem the people that um, stick with him. You know, Mm -hmm. part of the tension that is, I think, in Revelations is the compromisers and the conquerors. I think the compromisers, (laughs) those who forsake the name of Jesus and, you know, succumb to the world's views. Um, and compromise the word, as opposed to those who are conquerors through their faithfulness, their resilience, their sick-to-itiveness. They shall be redeemed, and that's the word of God. And um, I'm excited that uh, he did not, you know, put it in a box for a certain number. It's for all who might believe. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that can get people hung up on, like, details. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, and we live in such a time and place where there are people who believe that, like, they're, like, Jehovah's Witnesses believe 144,000 is a real number. I was talking to someone at church not that long ago who said they had gone to a Jehovah's Witness church with a family member, and the people invited for communion were the ones who believed that they are part of the 144. Mm. And so, like, three people went forward out of this Mm. congregation Mm because everybody else didn't think they were part. Mm. And I I just, like, this is so baffling to me that um, that we could think that it's only 144,000 people. It's interesting here in Revelation 7, uh, John hears how many are marked. He hears 144,000. But a few verses later, he sees a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people Mm -hmm. and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they shout shouts of praise. He hears one thing or he sees one thing and hears another. Mm -hmm. Um, This is representative of everyone. Mm -hmm. This is far greater than 144,000 people. Yeah. Can you imagine the counters? You know, you're just like, and they just kind of look at each other and smile and go, we're not going to get there. It's just, it's just too many. What good news that is too. Yes. That this vision of heaven is a place where there's so many people you can't count. It's part of our vision statement Mm -hmm. as a church is we want to help make heaven crowded. Uh, It comes right out of here. Revelation uh, chapter seven. 
So the 144,000 becomes this number too great to count. What you hear is 144, but what you see is even mm-hmm. better. Yeah. So, And those numbers, 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 in each tribe. This is very symbolic of Israel's rich history. Yeah. Like, again, this is John and this revealing, pulling in very rich Old Testament um, pieces and ties that the original hearers, you know, he's John is assuming they're picking up on this symbolism. Sure. Good stuff. Yes, it is. According to the book of Revelation, what is the great tribulation? How long does it last? And how does the interpretation of this verse inform varying views on the end times? So Revelation 7.14 says this. It says, uh, these are the ones who died, the multitude too great to count, Mm -hmm. that that John sees in heaven in his vision. These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They've washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. We already talked about Mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. blood of the lamb purifying their lives in the symbolism of their robes. But they died in the great tribulation, which becomes this verse. And there's other verses, Matthew 24, a little bit. And then, but then there's a lot of other verses in the new Testament where the same Greek word is used. John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says in this world, you'll have trouble, but actually it's the same Greek word for tribulation in this world. You'll have a great tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world, which is really apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, it's Jesus saying, Keep the faith, mm. hold on, be a conqueror, not a compromiser. Mm-hmm. As you say, Brian, it, see it from the end back. This is going to take a minute though. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask people to be patient with this. You might even want to hit pause, rewind, go back and say, what, what did they say take about that? Notes. Yeah. Because the back half of this question is, okay, so that's the great tribulation. It's a time of great suffering. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people build whole entire apocalyptic theologies around this and Bless them. You know, they might have something there. Respectfully, though, I will say, let's look a little deeper at how this word is actually used in Scripture. What if we start with Scripture and say, let that inform what, mm. we, what we believe and where we land instead of start with what somebody told me Revelation is all about and then try to get Scripture to fit that. Mm-hmm. So if we just wipe it clean and start with Scripture and start to build something, what we end up with is some terms that need to be defined. So people talk about the second coming. That's Jesus. He came the first time at Christmas Mm -hmm. in the Advent season. We anticipate not only Christmas and the celebration of his first coming, but also the advent of his second coming. So what does Jesus say about that? Be ready, be prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, And don't get complacent about this. Okay. So his second coming is just as sure as his first one. Remember, people were starting to think he wasn't coming the first time, too, because it had been 700 plus years since Mm -hmm. the prophet Isaiah said, Mm -hmm. here's some things about this Messiah who's going to come. Don't get complacent and think, well, since he hasn't come back yet, he's not coming. Very dangerous position, because what does very soon mean to God in relative to eternity? Mm -hmm. You know, billions and billions of years without any end to it. So Jesus is coming back. Pretty much any Christian who takes scripture seriously believes that. We do, and we teach that Amen. in this church, and it's it's foundational to what we believe. It's hopeful. It's why we're a yes. church of hope. We, right. would, we wouldn't be Lutheran Church of Hope if we didn't think Jesus was coming back. Then we'd be like, well, <laughs> we're doing the best we can. We're a Lutheran Church of, we're doing the best we can instead of Lutheran Church. Of, our hope is in Christ coming back. <laughs> we pray thy kingdom come. That's yes. the second coming. Tribulation is this time of suffering. Rapture is a word that is not in the Bible. It it, people will say, yeah, but First Thessalonians 4 describes a rapture where the faithful are taken up to heaven. They're snatched or they're raptured up to heaven. 
And some Christians believe that the rapture and the second coming are two separate events. That's probably worth noting. To Let's say you're hearing this and you don't believe in a literal rapture, but you know a lot of people who talk about it, or you're the opposite way. You do believe in it, and you don't know why everybody doesn't. One, because it's not, that word isn't in the Bible. And two, because a lot of Christians, and traditionally until 175 years ago, every Christian believed that this First Thessalonians 4 verse, this taking up in the air into heaven and the second coming were simultaneous events. Jesus comes back and delivers his, mm-hmm. his people, the faithful, into the kingdom of heaven. So the rapture, folks today who say it's two different events say the rapture either happens before the tribulation is an escape hatch kind of for the faithful mm-hmm. so that they can, they, can, uh, don't, they can pass on all the suffering mm-hmm. that will be... Uh, how you come up with this is interesting. You have to go back to Daniel. You have to do some math. You piece some things together. And a lot of times people will say it's a seven-year uh, uh, tribulation. The rapture happens before. And those are people who are called pre-trib. The rapture is pre-tribulation, pre-millennialist, because then the millennium is after that. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in the weeks that follow here, because that's in the book of Revelation. And some people read that and say it's a thousand years, literally, on earth where Christians reign, with Christ being the king of all kings, and that day is to come. Or there's people who are post-millennialists who say that already happened or is happening. It's the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And then there are those amillennialists who say it's symbolic, it's, it's real. We read about the millennium in the book of Revelation, but it isn't meant to be, it's meant to be taken seriously, not literally. And so what it means is we're in this time, we're in this season, again, between Jesus' first and second coming, where we get glimpses of God's kingdom through Christ in a way that didn't happen before he was born, crucified, and rose from the dead. When you pull all these things apart, what I think is really worth noting, so there's pre-trib people, mid-trib people, post-trib people, depending on where they think the rapture happens compared to the tribulation. And then there's pre-millennialists, there's post-millennialists, there's amillennialists, and then there's, I guess there's pan-millennialists, people who say it's all going to pan out, so let's not get too worried about it. We're talking about means, not the end. Mm -hmm. And that I can't emphasize Mm -hmm. enough. Regardless of whatever view you think captures the truth of scripture the best, it all ends the same. Mm -hmm. And isn't that ultimately what this book is pointing us to? It all ends the same. Jesus wins. Those who are faithful to Christ experience the victory over sin, death, and the darkness of evil. This beast who comes that we'll be reading about, the, the star that falls from heaven that we get a glimpse of here, um, the, the celebration in heaven that we just talked about and with mm-hmm. the last question, this is all here. So don't get hung up on this. And please, this is my strongest encouragement to you. Don't start thinking this is the point of, of what your view is. The point is Jesus comes back and he wins. And let's not be complacent. Let's, let's be conquerors. Let's be faithful. Let's, let's have a yada relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Not a, not I just believe, but let's actually have a whole new life relationship with him. Then you can see all the suffering that's happening around you and put it in its place. Yeah. Yeah. So good, Pastor. You know, this is, uh, this is something that can really divide the people of God mm-hmm. based upon where they fall. And then division sneaks in and then we are at odds with each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm not going to minimize the the fact that you just did such a great job 
I see it also happens in just on another level. It's like our cycle of socialization is like who are influencers in life. They often impact how we see the world and can impact our theology. And so even if we're socialized and been taught a certain way, once you understand truth, there should be a cycle of liberation. Like you go through a process of being liberated for what you thought. Come on, doctor. And so in that space, though, it takes a lot to overcome the influencers who a pastor, teacher, or maybe even family that said, this is the truth. And once you hear the truth and you know the truth, there's um, such a responsibility personally to overcome that and just understand like the end game Mm -hmm. and not let division sneak in and come in and say that we can't be in yada, we can't be in intimacy. I think people who haven't read Revelation probably assume it reads like a fictional novel, like the Left Behind series, which I think is fascinating and Mm -hmm. interesting and and Mm -hmm. was certainly worth a read back in the day when those were like the Harry Potter books of the world. Uh, But then you get to Revelation, you're like, oh, where's the tribulation? Mm-hmm. This was it, this one verse, mm-hmm. you know, chapter right. seven, verse 14. Now there are other verses. I'm mm-hmm. not saying there aren't in the New Testament to talk about tribulation, but not in the way you, you would probably assume mm-hmm. if your whole theology of the end times is based on what you were taught mm-hmm. and or what you read in books or saw in a movie or something like that. Let's start with the word. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start with the word. And it's not because we feel the need to like correct everybody's wrong views on this. Who knows? Humbly, we might be wrong, you might be right, but it's all good mm-hmm. because whether Jesus' second coming and the rapture are two different events or they're one and the same, which is what most of the pastors here believe and teach, it's still going to happen. <laughs> it's right. yeah. Nobody's debating that it's going to happen or not. It's, we still believe Jesus is coming back mm-hmm. to judge the living and the dead and it matters and it is a it is a very big deal so let's not lose our balance on these things um, there are brilliant people who believe all these things by right. the way you yes. can find you can find brilliant authors theologians bible scholars mm-hmm. who will land in any of these views so yeah. i also get a little nervous around those who just want to uh, completely be dismissive right. of of other views you're not just dismissing the person who's who's talking a little crazy you're dismissing the cloud of witnesses, the giants of theology who held that view mm-hmm. or held, hold that view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can make a list, but it, that's not the point. The point is we really do all agree on the way this ends. Mm-hmm. So let's hold on to that. Yeah. And that's enough to hold us together. <laughs> really good. Uh, what's the point of Revelation 7 trumpets? How do they connect to this week's Old Testament readings from Joel 2, the Exodus story, and us? Yes. So like we've said, uh, there are seven seals and then seven trumpets and then ultimately seven bowls. Uh, seven trumpets are, you know, if we're not taking this chronologically, they're essentially retelling what we've already read in the seven seals. But they do a really good job. The trumpets specifically do a great job of echoing uh, the plagues that God sends on Egypt when he's trying to rescue his people uh, from under Pharaoh's oppression. And so they're not the exact same plagues. Uh, There are a few that are the same, but sent in a different timeline. Uh, But they certainly echo this God freeing his people uh, from uh, from underneath Pharaoh's oppression. I think it's noteworthy um, that Plague 6 references the four horsemen that we've already read about. Again, you run into problems with chronological time if you think the trumpets come first and then, or the seals come first and then the trumpets uh, because our trumpets are actually echoing some of the seals. And good. U- ultimately, we get to uh, Revelation 9 where 
people don't repent. Uh, let's see. This is 9 verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Verse 21. They did not repent. Uh, Twice we are told in these verses that these people did not repent after these plagues have been sent. Again, echoing what is happening in the Exodus story where mm-hmm. Pharaoh's heart just continues to be hardened um, and he doesn't want to let God's people go. So how does this also echo Joel? And even we had a write-in from Hosea. How does it? Yeah, it says, what is the connection between trumpets and warnings from Hosea 8 and Revelation 8? Which yeah. is a great question. Glad yeah. it was asked. Yeah, so good. So Joel 2, that was part of this question. Joel 2 begins, sound the trumpet in Jerusalem, raise the alarm on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because of the day of the Lord is upon us. We get this um, Old Testament warning uh, that destruction is coming. This this is a prophecy. This is also what Hosea 8 says. Uh, Pastor Mike looked up the Hebrew before we began. Uh, Hosea 8 verse 1 also says, sound the alarm. The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord, for they have broken my covenant and revolted against the law. Uh, There are a lot of ties between our Old Testament prophets and the sounding of alarms, the sounding of trumpets, uh, that this this wrath is going to be poured out. There is a time to repent and and you should do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The connection between Old Testament and Revelation, I just can't emphasize it enough. We already talked about it earlier. You Mm -hmm. just hit it great there, Ashley, and and really bridged a gap for a lot of folks. It's not just that, it's it's, it's who we are as a church, our identity. So the beginning of uh, Joel chapter two is sound the trumpet the end of Joel chapter two is a prelude to Pentecost, which we talked about earlier. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, uh, even on servants, men and women alike. It's this, it's this key passage that, that points to the birthday of the Christian church. So uh, this view is, is really a beautiful thing. This is also just a little bit more of something that the, the amillennialists or the amillennialists, it's not people who don't believe there's a millennial. They just don't believe it's literal. They believe it's serious that, that we're, or that we're in it. And it's more of a, of a timeless symbolic time instead of just like the 144,000 mm-hmm. isn't an exact number. Right. The thousand year reign isn't exactly an, a number. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are folks who would say we're in it now because we're in the, we're in the, we're in the time of Pentecost, post-Pentecost. Mm-hmm. We're in the time when Christ has died risen and ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit has descended upon us. So we are not living in the same times Joel was. We're living in the times Joel prophesied about. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying we're in that millennial time now and that's going to lead to Christ's return. One of the reasons I tend to uh, embrace more of an, a pan-millennial or amillennial uh, or even if you wanted to push it, I, I, I'll just keep it at that just for the sake of not confusing everybody. But I hold on to that view is what it reminds me of is Jesus could come back today right? where you can get a little too comfortable with a dispensationalist view where you start to say, well, we know that all these trumpets haven't blown yet. Mm-hmm. And we know that all these bulls haven't been poured out yet. And we, we know all these things haven't happened exactly the way we interpret them to happen because we think this one is China or we think this one is mm-hmm. Iran or we mm-hmm. think this one is, is some American leader somewhere along the way who is a deceiver or, or, or whatever it might be. 
The problem with that is you're like, well, you're still waiting. All these other things have to happen, and then Jesus will come back. That doesn't sound like Jesus in the Gospels, who mm-hmm. right. says, I'm coming like a right. thief in the night. Mm-hmm. You won't be you ready won't for it. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't lay this mm-hmm. out and get too confident in yourself. What I like about the amillennial, amillennial view and the panmillennial view is it says, Jesus could come back before we end this podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he could come back before we go to sleep tonight, and that'd be great. Because the kingdom would come and there wouldn't be any more suffering, you know? And so we pray for that, thy kingdom Mm -hmm. come, Mm -hmm. and it could be today. I like that view better. I think that's more consistent with Jesus' teaching on his return than a teaching that says, oh, you can't come back yet. We've still got all these things we got to do first. Mm -hmm. It's really all about the lamb. It's not really all about the followers of the lamb. Absolutely. What's the significance of Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21, which tells us that the full wrath of God's judgment won't compel worldly people to repent? Ashley already kind of started to introduce this. It is, and I'm on record as preaching about this on a pretty consistent basis. Post 9-11, there was a revival, small, Mm -hmm. in the American church. Uh, because I think people, a lot of people came to church, this church, many other churches, and like, well, we need something more. Obviously, we've been believing and trusting in the wrong things. If the world, if I, if I can live in a world where um, planes can fly into buildings and everything that I thought was so secure isn't so secure, uh, maybe I need something more. Maybe I need God. So that lasted for about six months, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, and then it, the, that wave came to shore and it diminished. Then we had a pandemic, uh, and you know, starting in 2020, and it lasted way longer than we wanted it to. And there were a lot of people. And so, what did we turn it into? S- too many Christians into a fight mm-hmm. over right. vaccinations or masks, or and you know what? We missed the point mm-hmm. it, because if you read Revelation and you look at these things, you you can't think anything's happening without God knowing. Mm-hmm. And what what? Why would God allow something like that to happen in the world to get our attention? Mm-hmm. To give us that space again, I'm giving you room to repent. I'm giving you room, room to come back to me and stop dismissing your neighbors because they have a divergent view on whether or not you should wear a mask. If we really think that's the point, then we have totally missed the point. And I've said this before, I'm shocked and heartbroken revival didn't happen. Mm. The pandemic freaked us out. Mm. I mean, it, it, uh, the, the whole world millions of people died. They, yeah. This is this was like a plague. Yeah. I mean, it comes right yeah. out of the pages of Old Testament and New Testament. And the reaction of Christians and non-Christians was basically, huh, well, meh, you know, wh- wh- whatever. Let's uh, make sure that we, you know, make more money and, and do more things and, and fight with each other about secondary, not unimportant, not saying vaccines and, and masks and all those conversations weren't important to have, very important to have. But where's the revival? What, what God is saying through this revelation about what's to come is if we worship lifeless idols, we become lifeless. If, if we, and he lists them, murder, magic, sexual promiscuity, theft, they're all forms of blindness and death. They're lifeless pursuits. And if we're going to pursue those lifeless, thi- lifeless things, we're going to end up with lifeless results. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping, you know, our world will wake up. There, there is wrath and judgment. This is the last thing I'll say about this. There are people who say, we need more wrath, we need more judgment. I got an anonymous email from somebody yesterday that said, hey, at the Christmas Eve sermon, I'm going to read it. It's on my screen right here. Um, do not preach about the story of Mary. Instead, preach the severity of hell and then go ahead and do your thing. Hmm. <laughs> 
I'm not going to be doing that. So spoiler alert, <laughs> yeah. uh, just so you know, because that's not scripture. That's somebody saying the only way we're going to get people mm-hmm. to repent is to scare the snots out of them. Mm-hmm. That's not what Romans 2, 4 says, which says it's your kindness, Lord, that leads to repentance. And the Greek word for kindness is krestos, which was pronounced the same way Christos was pronounced in ancient Greek biblical times. And that means Christ. So it's Christ and it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And that's, isn't that what Revelation says? Mm-hmm. The, the, the seals break and the, the trumpets blast and, and now the bowls will be poured out next week. And it's not enough to get people's attention, just like the plagues weren't enough to get Pharaoh's attention mm-hmm. until they finally did. Um, it's God's love. It's his kindness. It's his grace that is the only thing that's strong and powerful mm-hmm. enough to change this world. Yeah. We got to focus on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real fast. You mentioned the plagues again. What we haven't talked about with those plagues is that that last plague is the plague of death. And the people that were passed over, they put blood from a sacrificial lamb over their doors. And so I hope people are starting to see the, the, <laughs> the old Testament ties to why mm-hmm. the sacrificial lamb is really Jesus. that important. Yeah. <laughs> the blood of the lamb. Okay, help Bible readers understand why John ate the small scroll and why it went from sweet to sour. Yeah, the small scroll um, that was in the hand was the word of God. And so the scroll, as the as the prophet, um, eats the word of God, there's a responsibility to share that word of God. It's sweet when it's because it's the word of God. It's sweeter than a honeycomb. But at the same time, when you digest it and you have to go and, and share that, that good news, sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it becomes better when there's rebellion and there's not the acceptance of the word of God. But so I think the sweetness of it is we have to eat the word. I mean, that's what um, will sustain, that's what saves. And so in eating the, the word of God, it was being obedient because that's you know, in, uh, in the vision. But at the same time, the word of God is what we need in order to um, overcome the world. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I was in seminary, I had a professor, uh, our senior year, we had a capstone class where we were bringing it all together. Pastor Richard was in this class with me. Uh, oh. It was pretty interesting. Young Richard, young yeah. Mike, you know, <laughs> way, a generation ago. Uh, back in the day, and uh, he's a he's a brilliant uh, scholar, Dr. Gerhard Ferdy, uh, considered one of the great uh, Reformation theologians of the last century. And we were blessed to be able to sit down mm-hmm. at a table with him. There was just like eight of us and him for a whole semester. And at the end, he said, and I'm just paraphrasing, but this is pretty close. I am <clears throat> I'm not teaching you to be religious leaders. Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second, because mm-hmm. most people think, oh, you pastor, you you just Learning, He says, I'm teaching you to be responsible scholars and proclaimers of God's holy and life-changing and earth-shaking word. This scroll that John eats, mm-hmm. he's taking it in. He's, he's soaking it up. And so no shortcuts, no showing up for sermons or podcasts or Bible studies unprepared. No, mm-hmm. no winging it. No, mm-hmm. even though it might look like we're winging it, I can assure you we <laughs> never are. Um, that there's in behind the scenes, the conversations mm-hmm. we have as pastors, the way we iron sharpens iron and we mm-hmm. challenge each other and push each other and correct each other. That's really, really important to have that scholarship, to have that study, to, the, the stuff that happens behind the scenes because truth matters. Mm-hmm. We are not to make God's word subservient to some social cause or political agenda or even religious you know, goal. Like, oh, we want our church to be big, or we want, you know, this ministry to work. I have found (laughs) that when you care deeply about uh, the truth of God's word, and when you take it in and you eat it, (laughs) if you will, Mm -hmm. and you digest it, and you humbly realize, 
I don't know it all. And so that's why we do these podcasts together. And, and that's, we're better together as, as a church in community. There's things you guys know and that I don't know and vice versa. And there's things that come in from the questions, which like the one we got today on Hosea 8. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. We're better together. But God's word also has this charismatic, that's a fancy word, this charismatic power to it. When it is proclaimed, it's done. If, if God gets a hold of it and his spirit gets a hold of it and, and hearts and minds and souls are open to it, something happens mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Think about what an encouraging word can do for you yeah. on, a, on, a, on a down day. Think about what a critical word can do mm-hmm. sometimes for you that, that's just really unfair uh, on, a, on a day when things are just normal and it just, it just like steals your soul almost sometimes. God's word. Now imagine how powerful God's word can be if we opened our hearts and minds and souls to it. That's the charismatic word of God. It's not just let me tell you things about God. Mm-hmm. It's proclaiming God's word. That's what John is called to do here. That's what the prophets are called to do, like Joel and Hosea that we looked at earlier. That's what God's word does. We aren't just reading history. We aren't just reading future prophecies about things that are going to happen. We're reading about a God who knows us and loves us and wants to have this relationship with us. And humbly, we receive that and depend on it and we need it. Mm -hmm. And with that, as the seventh trumpet is about to go, you know, and we're we're waiting for it in the same way we had to wait a whole chapter and started with silence for the seventh seal to open. This is the way God moves. He's like, okay, I'm going to give you more time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you more time to make some space already. Dang it. That is good. <laughs> to make God's yeah. word come in. I mean, yeah. joy to the world. What, what's that little lyric in the midst of that song we'll sing at Christmas? Let every heart prepare him room. Mm-hmm. It's as if God is saying, I could throw the seventh trumpet now and that'd be the end. I could wipe yeah. you out, yeah. but I'm going to give you some time. Mm-hmm. so good. I think with yeah. all the trumpets, the caution, but yet it's a third or it's a portion. Mm-hmm. It's not the full thing. It's a little more room. Here's more caution. Here's a little bit more wrath too, but here's room. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a a good God that he continues amid amid judgment, still provides room. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a sweet portion for us. And so even as you eat the scroll, you eat the word and digesting it, as you said, Pastor, take it in, it's it's bitter to yourself because of your own sin, because of your own, uh, you know, being in a space to where you're not, righteous either. So it has to be this bitterness, but that's part of the propheticness of sharing the good news is that you're not speaking at people and talking mm-hmm. to people. You're yeah. really um, compelling them to just listen, right. hear, yeah. and uh, open up that door, let them in. So I think it is um, it's good news throughout. Yeah. And what a privilege for us as pastors and ministers mm-hmm. to be able to share this word in, yes. in, in different ways, in, in all that. the different ways we get to share it mm-hmm. because it's not our word. No. It's, we're just the instruments mm-hmm. of God's peace and, and that he gets to proclaim it through us is a privilege and humbling and an honor. And, and you just demonstrated that, you know, when we take that word in, it's, it's bitter because we, we don't do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have to continue to dig and, and humbly pursue and say, okay, what do you want to teach me today, God? Mm-hmm. What would, so that I can teach others. What, yeah. what do you want to show me as a blind beggar? What I can point other blind beggars where they can get some good food. Mm-hmm. So the seventh trumpet's about to go. And, you know, here we are only halfway through Revelation. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the movie's ending. Mm-hmm. And it could. And it would be like, that was a great movie. You know, that, that, was, that was really <laughs> wild. But that was a great movie. And yet we're only halfway through. And so to be continued... And more surprises, more challenges, and most of all, more hope. Yeah. 
Yes, right. And more space and more time Mm -hmm. for us, as you guys have so eloquently said, for us to return to the Lord. Uh, to come back to him in a yada sort of way, mm-hmm. in, in a real relationship sort of way. We'll talk more about that uh, this weekend in our sermons. I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into these chapters we just looked at. So we'll see you next week on the podcast. We'll see you this weekend at worship. We love you. God loves you more. Thanks for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform, and we'll see you next time. Yeah,